Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Ake Woman podcast. It's exciting to grow this global community of women for women. A side note, we recorded this podcast during peak pandemic but have kept in references to covid ek women strives to make a difference by bringing you inspirational authentic and impactful narratives our guest today is someone whose motto is one of giving back to make a difference we are honored to feature meera gandhi from head girl of mumbai's cathedral school to global philanthropist serving community has always been her mantra Born to an Irish mother and Indian father, Meera has been fortunate to live in countries like India, England, Ireland, Canada, the US, Dubai and Hong Kong. Whether as an early professional, a new bride, a young mother or a seasoned veteran, she found a way to get involved and make a difference. In 2009, Meera started her not-for-profit The Giving Back Foundation, of which she's still the CEO and continues to be involved in the daily operations. Mira's goal is educating and empowering children, spreading positive energy, and encouraging mental well-being and holistic living. Without further ado, let's hear from this passionate crusader. Hi, Mira. It's great to have you on our show. Hi, Monica. Thank you for having me on your show. How unique was your experience as a biracial child at a time when it was less common? When you're a child you don't think so much about it but I do remember when I was in Pune and one day waiting for the naval bus one of the girls came to me and said are you a anglo are you a british and I was like I don't know so my mother said tell them you're indo irish you're very normal and you don't care about it you never get bullied by it it was also fun because when they want to cast snow white i was sort of a natural choice and so i got a really uh, leg up in the world of drama and theatrics cuz i always had lead roles to play and culturally as an irish and an indian how was that experience living in india first of all the food for example i grew up eating pork chops and mashed potatoes and a lot of boiled vegetables because that was the irish diet not so much dal sabzi and rice we were quite integrated we stayed back for games and played basketball and throw ball and i used to bike to school and college we spoke hindi i just speak good hindi today for the naysayers who think i can't has teresa always been your middle name and how did meeting mother teresa change your world view my mother's mother is teresa mccarthy So when I got baptized at 6 months my mother called me Mira Teresa Agarwal just quite fortuitous 20 years later I met mother Teresa but that had no bearing on my name and then I got married to a Gandhi and came Mira Teresa Gandhi it was pretty organic what was the experience like and how did it change you meeting mother Teresa when I met mother Teresa I didn't realize what a profound experience it had had on my life until later the first time I went was from cathedral on an interact project 
and you get there, you bathe the children, you feed them, they get messy. Then you put them into bed, sing to them and keep patting them till they sleep. I did it one Saturday and then the next Saturday I wanted to go back. I took the bus back and then the third and then I just did it for every Saturday throughout high school because it gave me so much joy. My mother was definitely an influence. My mother would say so much better than wasting your time on Saturday morning that you go and play with these children and nurture them and love them. And I would have many conversations with Mother Teresa, just always smiling, hardly in her office, always roaming around or holding up children. She taught me about the quality of human life and energy. She said, when you hold the babies, don't you feel how your body becomes so joyful? That's so incredible. When did that awakening happen that has inspired you? And what has it inspired you to do? When you go every Saturday and you're learning by osmosis, learning that being joyful is the way to be. I didn't see a single person there grouchy or cranky. But when you're with these people that are happy no matter what, whether they have one leg or half an arm or whether they can throw the ball far or catch the ball, it sets your DNA up. That's the behavior that is real. You moved out of India at a young age. And since then, you've set up homes in many different countries. Do you have a ritual each time you approach yourself? My father was in the Navy, so we moved a lot. I was six months married. My husband and I went to Boston to go to business school. We stayed in student housing. From there, we moved to New York City, by which time we had one child and the second on the way. It's not a ritual, but you basically set up groceries, food, a schedule, when you drop the kids, when you pick them up, what you do on the weekend. And you would think as you do it more, it gets easier. But the truth is, the more things you accumulate, the more things you get attached to, it gets harder. A move from here to India was easier. There was a lot of help. The move from India back to New York was a little more tough. Then from New York, we moved to Hong Kong, Hong Kong to India, India to London, London back to New York. I would say every stage, every country had its own trials and tribulations. But you know what? You get the job done. Because I really believe, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, you must do the things you think you cannot do. You just have to do them. And once they're done, it's not that hard. And of all these different countries, which do you think was the most challenging? What were the obstacles you faced? I think the most challenging was moving to Hong Kong. Because I felt like I was not ready for Hong Kong. The children didn't like HKIS. The culture was quite alien. And Vikram, my ex-husband, was gone most of the time. The night we moved into our beautiful villa, it was a typhoon. These 20 feet waves from the South China Sea were pounding this house. We had just been in there two days. Vikram was gone. We had never been in a typhoon before. It was quite a frightening experience. And I was disappointed that my husband didn't think it was important enough to come home for that first night and be with the family during the typhoon. Those things made the move to Hong Kong difficult. Not difficult because I couldn't handle things. Difficult because I felt that we were not moving together the way a family should. Which was your favorite place in your moves around these different places in the world? I think moving to London was very exciting. London is civilized. I'm very close friends with Sherry and Tony Blair. And I liked driving to Kabir, to Harrow, every Friday for Exiat to pick him up. How did you know Sherry and Tony Blair? Through your work or it's a personal connection? Through work. I was invited to 10 Downing Street in 2007 for my work with the neuron motor disease. I told Mrs. Blair, I would like to invite you to receive the Eleanor Roosevelt Medal of Honor. I would be nominating you in May of next year and in October 
you will come to New York to receive it. And she did. And it was right after she was first lady. She came commercials. She came out of the airport saying, oh my God, like this took so long. And I'm like, don't worry. You're coming to my home. I'm going to go upstate. She's not only a judge and a lawyer. She's a very independent thinking, wonderful woman. We became very, very close friends. We're sisters. Ek Women is all about this sisterhood and people supporting each other, regardless of who you are, whether you're a famous person or unknown. You mentioned Eleanor Roosevelt. You lived in her iconic house in New York. How did that come about? Did it help give you an entrance into elite society? We were looking at apartments when a broker, she said down the street is a townhouse and it's a beautiful facade. Mrs. Roosevelt used to live there until 1962. So we looked at it. I loved it. I called my ex-husband and I said, this is the home for us. I made it open a lot of doors for me. I used the fact that it's Mrs. Roosevelt's house. She drafted the Declaration of Human Rights adopted by her in 35 countries. Many charity events I hosted there, which we paid for. I think people were always interested in her. Where did she sleep? Where did she receive JFK, Khrushchev, Adelaide Stevenson? She had so many world leaders visit. And then I took it to the next level by inviting Bollywood celebrities. Rahul Gandhi has been there. Sonia Gandhi and Sadhguru on two Diwalis and Rishi Kapoor came to my house literally days after he came out of hospital. People from Buckingham Palace, Prince Edward was at my house. People would come because it was Mrs. Roosevelt's home. But to another point, people would come because they feel you're adding some value to their lives. I'm lucky that this is the house that was meant for us. As a girl growing up in Bombay, did you ever think one day You'd have a home where you'd have all these people. Did you have pinch myself moments? I don't have many pinch myself moments, but I really go a lot from my gut. I'm not overly enamored by anything I do. The result is important. I'm grateful for the joy that comes of bringing a special guest, the joy of having the special guest meet other people, the joy of the different projects that come out of such meetings. Those are the things that make me very happy. The first time I met you, I was a guest at your house. I felt your warmth and I didn't feel inhibited at all. I came away feeling joyful. Moving with a young family would not have been easy. How did you help them adapt to a new country and how did you then balance motherhood with work life? That's something many women struggle with under normal circumstances. I was extra hands-on almost helicopter mom, understanding what it's like to go to a new place. I dropped them, picked them up. I would make sure they had everything to finish a project. Often I would work with them on projects. I would go to all the volleyball matches, the basketball matches, the baseball matches. I always volunteered to bring the snack. I always volunteered to take five, six kids on my car, keeping myself involved. I could really see firsthand if they needed something or something went wrong or they just felt supported by having me there. So I think that's how I navigated these different countries. My kids are pretty resilient too. They just know that, you know, you're in a new place. You've just got to buckle in and make friends and, and learn the most you can. Being hands-on with your kids plus social impact work that you were doing, it must not have been easy. I found myself working pretty much all the time. 
in the morning, you get the kids off to school. Then you're at your desk. In London, a lot of people do work over lunch meetings. After that, there's follow-up in the afternoon. Then the evening when the kids come back, there's time with them, homework, bath, and then a little more work unless I was going out. I feel you have to be on all the time. I had stopped going to the country club on Saturday and Sunday in order to keep up with all the work so that it's done by Mondays. Did you even take time out for yourself in the middle of juggling all this? I meditate and I do yoga every day. So I definitely have two, three hours for myself. And I read before I sleep at night. I'm often reading Man's Eternal Quest, Swami Paramhansa Yogananda. I read a number of books. So it keeps me grounded, mm. happy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As South Asians, we are considered a model minority with high expectations for our kids. How did you nurture the differences in your offspring? Was it easy? Was it difficult? It wasn't difficult. I have always told the children when they go for an exam, do your best, leave rest to God. Don't make yourself crazy. They've all been pretty driven. They've all been good at math and they've all come back with A's and they work hard. And there's a supportive environment because we had a lot of inbuilt tutors at home. The big thing was don't try to study till late. Go to bed early, go to the exam and do your best. There wasn't really a lot of pressure when it came to academics when I was raising my kids. What do your kids do? How old are they? And your daughter's a musician. Music is fantastic. When Kiran said she was gay, we supported her. Her music is phenomenal. We're so proud of her, doing incredible work. She lives in L.A., she graduated from Harvard Business School and Georgetown. She's been signed to Sony Music. She's doing very well. Kadika is working for the Organic Trade Association in Vermont. She lives with her boyfriend, who we love, and a dog. And she is trying to push America in the direction of organic farming so we all don't get sick. My youngest graduated top of his class and was the keynote commencement speaker at Harvard, Oh, wow. In Latin. And Angela Merkel was the outside speaker. He has been accepted to Harvard Business School. He'll go after two years. And currently he's working in Hawaii with a startup creating financial products. Marriage is never easy. Ending a marriage comes with its own challenges and societal prejudices. How did you navigate that period? I was sad that my ex-husband decided that he did not want to stay married. After 28 years of marriage, I was actually quite surprised, but I respected that. I was clear I wanted to be back in New York where my kids were. Thanks to the advice from my parents, we did not involve the children in fights back and forth. I made decisions for myself, which I communicated to my lawyers and they communicated to becomes lawyers. We were lucky we were back in our family home. So they were in their bedrooms, going to class, meals were on the table. I hired the same housekeeper back who cooked for them when they were little. So the same porridge was on the table, the same omelets. 
And so I took them through it quite smoothly until it was over. It was literally Eleanor Roosevelt inspiring me, saying, we must do the things we think we cannot do. The Dalai Lama says, happiness is not something manufactured. It's something that comes from within, just like confidence. My only dream was to get my kids not messed up by all of this so they could continue being their best self. And I have to say they thrived during this period. I also got divorced after 28 years of marriage. My kids were 18 and 21 when I got divorced. I turned 50 and I moved countries. But I had friends and family who supported me and that made all the difference. I had a lot of friends that rallied around me, that helped me. Some of them went to the courthouse with me. My lawyers believed in me. Hillary Clinton was in touch with me. Sherry Bless sent me emails every day if you need anything. So I had some really incredible people who walked the journey with me. And then my prayer, I pray a lot. I also started working with B4U TV on how to bring joyfulness in your life, how to bring happiness into your life. Doing the show really helped me. I read the Bible a lot. I read Swami Sachinananda's book and I read Osho. I'm Catholic, but I meditate. I do Hindu prayers. I do the Gayatri Mantra. I do the Ram Mantra. I do the Shiv Shambho. I do the Shiv Mantra. I do Asatoma. And then I just meditated a lot. I had accepted everything and I was in a very good place. And I went out for dinner with different people every night. That was kind of fun. Ek Women is about creating a community of diasporic women. During your jaunts around the world, did being a woman and an immigrant hold you back ever? When you're a product of good education, you look like you could be anything. Sometimes people think I'm Lebanese, Colombian, Irish, German, anything. And then I am fortunate to be very connected. I can make phone calls to get things opened. And then I myself just don't know no for an answer. If I need something done, that's it. I'll do it. What would you say to people who are not as privileged or who lack confidence, who want to achieve something, but are hesitant and don't know how to go about doing it? Say to them, just do it. Make up your mind as to what you want to do and just go for it. You will be surprised how easy it is for it to happen. Just be convinced because that conviction will make it happen. It's really not that hard. Sometimes we overthink things too much. Totally resonates with me. What motivates you to wake up each morning and how would you describe a typical day in the life of Mira? I wake up, I meditate. Then after my meditation, I get a cup of tea or coffee. Then I open up my book to see what I have to do. Nine out of 10 times I know what I'm doing and I'm already at it and adding things to it. I don't really think of it as work. I just think, oh my God, I'm so lucky. These are the things I have to do today. So that keeps me really happy, joyful. I'm very conscious that the people that work with me on my team have to bring me joy and happiness. If I feel a certain person is not doing that, I take them out of my team. We have to walk a shared journey. And it's as simple as that. I'm big on making goals. I write down what I want to do every day. And that's very important to me. I make time to play, whether I play tennis or take a walk or do yoga or swim. I take time to listen, use my time, my minutes, my seconds wisely. And I like to get things done. That's it. I like to go to sleep with a laugh on my lip thinking that was a worthy day. 
I have to try going to sleep with a laugh on my lips. Such a positive way to end the day. The Giving Back Foundation is the baby you've nurtured since 2009. Can you take us through your journey? Why you started it? Your challenges? The response to the foundation? I started the Giving Back Foundation because I was doing a lot of charity work ten years before that, and I felt that it wasn't satisfying. I would raise all this money. I didn't know where the money was going. I didn't know who the players were. I decided to start the foundation so that I could know exactly. who i was interacting with what the money was doing for them education was important to me we took over the st michael school in delhi which has grown from 6 years to 16 i know who the girls are we know their uniforms we know the van we know the food they eat we know all the names of the dds when they do their performances we come and watch it we did something in new york with the police athletic league with boys who were released from incarceration between 13 and 18 they come and play they get a snack they do their homework they can't be picked up by the drug dealers on the street then we noticed mental wellness is becoming an issue so we started doing the ledgewood retreat where you could come and do yoga rest under the trees do color aura eat vegetarian food and do a dengue dance therapy to get rid of stress we're in the process of making a huge meditation center where we would like community to come and meditate so that's the direction which the foundation is heading How has news of your foundation spread? Do you use social media? I would say it's largely word of mouth. I think it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Then we did this time series with the Times TV that got word out. We've done the three tips on B4U TV. It's also helped. Then we're working with Times Magazine in London, in Turkey working with the Para Foundation, in Hong Kong we're working with a printing plus. It's different things in different countries. If you have to talk about the Giving Back Foundation, what would you say it's about? The Giving Back Foundation is basically about giving grants for education. Second, as a platform for positive debate, whether we host something or we pay for a venue, and third, a platform for mental wellness where you can come, listen to experts, get one-on-one advice, do yoga, meditation, take books, or get referred to professionals. mental wellness especially during covid is becoming a very important segment and i give lots of talks about it from my experience it's helping to serve a lot of people what was the biggest challenge you faced with setting up the giving back foundation and how did you overcome that challenge well i think the biggest challenge was that i have an mba in marketing and finance and i had not done any not for profit training to remedy that in december of 2009 i went to harvard and i did a course on setting up not for profits running not for profit businesses compliance regulation so i think that definitely helps it's important to do it right and do it by the book and they teach you all the tools and they give you a manual do's and don'ts i think it's very useful in fact after that i asked two of my executives to do the same thing Women are making waves in fields previously assumed to be men's domain. What do you think should be the next step for women to fuel further change? I think women have to be very comfortable with their leadership. We have leaders like Oprah, Mother Teresa, but I think on a more formal platform, we need to have more presidents in the western world and I think we're going to see it. 
I also think that women should not be afraid if they are single and successful. They should not be afraid to want that in a partner. Women should feel like they can pick a partner that's intellectually equal. And the guys should feel comfortable being with a woman who has accomplished all that. What does leadership mean to you from a woman's perspective? What do they bring into leadership? How is it different and why would it be better? To me, leadership is providing the best possible path to get a job done, which is for the greater good. That's what a leader does. Female leadership tends to lead with people. Female leadership often is by example. In a female leadership, you'll usually have the female leader actually helping move the boxes or giving hands-on advice. Unlike male leadership, which is more like, do it and you better get it right. And then they exit the scene. Women leadership tend to stay the course. I think it's a more inspired leadership that tends to have less mistakes. Women leaders are more empathic. So I think the productivity that women leaders inspire is a huge deal higher because they're instinctively mothers. They care. They're excited about taking people to their full potential. That's what we need to do. Women, men, children, you've got to mentor people. It's different everywhere, but you have to do it. Mentorship is to basically get the best out of a human while making them feel happy. Your trajectory has taken you on many different paths. Entrepreneur, philanthropist, author, television host, mentor. Which of these do you enjoy the most? I enjoy everything. <laughs> I mean, I love the simplest job of driving to get myself a, a juice. I love everything. But I was going to share with you this saying that grit and tenacity will take you far in life. But love and forgiveness will take you to the finish line. I try to live like that. Yeah, that is amazing. That really is. Can you give us three tips for the next generation of women to carry forward? Sure. Happy people really get ahead. So I would pick three tips on try to stay happy. The first thing is smile. When you smile at a person, you get a smile back. Second, understand you are fine. You're going to be fine. Communicate that. And the third tip to be happy is do not do something that you know in your soul is wrong and that doesn't agree with you. Just don't do it. If you keep to these three things, you will be able to maintain happiness. Happiness is very important. The planet is beautiful. We must be happy on it. It goes so fast. Those tips are so beautiful. I'm going to add it to go to sleep laughing. I'd like to end with a rapid fire round. So are you ready? Fingers on the buzzer. Yes. Bombay or New York? That's not fair. For now, New York. High heels or flats? Flats. Ladies who launch or ladies who lunch? Ladies who launch. Favorite skin cream? La Prairie. Fact or fiction books? I only read philosophy, so I would say fact. Saris or skirts? Skirts. Favorite cuisine? Right now, I would say Indian. Namaste or a handshake? Mostly namaste during COVID, but it depends. Diwali or Christmas? Celebrate Christmas more. Chai in a dhaba or beer at an Irish pub? Beer in an Irish pub. 
Meera, it's been an utter delight speaking with you. On behalf of my colleague Meeta Jayashankar, I'd like to thank you for taking time from your busy schedule to speak with us. For our viewers and listeners, you can catch our podcasts on our social media handle at @akewomanglobal on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you. 